Well, as uh, mentioned, my name is Graham, and uh, I'm a Kiwi. That's probably all you need to know. Uh, but this beautiful lady at the front here is my wife, Sharon, and uh, 30, I've got to get this right. <laughs> I really have to get this right. 33 years this year uh, of marriage, so we're, we're doing okay. So there you go. And uh, don't worry, I know I'm married up. I still have no idea how I managed to uh, get married to this lady. Um, currently, uh, we're about to launch CoLab Australia. Uh, CoLab stands for Conversations on Leadership and Business. Uh, I'll share a little bit more of my story as we go through uh, the message this morning. But God's really given uh, or put a, a real desire in my heart to uh, bring faith into the community. So CoLab is, is a way that we can serve business owners and leaders in the community bring kingdom principles, but it is completely a community that they can feel welcome in. Uh, it's not set up as a Christian organization, it's set up as a business, uh, but we just love business people. So that's just a little bit about what we're about. Um, one of the ways to introduce yourself and maybe to find out something about a person is to find out what movies have inspired them. So I'm going to show you a clip of a movie, Chariots of Fire. Who's seen Chariots of Fire? Who has never seen Chariots of Fire? Who doesn't care about Chariots of Fire? Uh, Eric Liddell was a Scottish runner. He was a Christian guy, and he qualified for the 1924 Olympic Games in the 100 metres. Uh, if you've seen the movie, the story behind this is that when he gets to the Games, he finds out that the heats for the 100 metres are run on a Sunday. And uh, one of his great statements, I won't run on the Sabbath, and that's final. And uh, so he just wouldn't run on a Sunday. So the king, the, the uh, head of the Olympic Games, are all saying, you've got to run, you've got to run. He said, no, I'm just not going to do it. So another athlete that runs in the 400 meters said, look, different, different uh, race, different day, he can take my spot, which is pretty amazing. So they shifted him over to the 400 meters, and, uh, which he hadn't trained for. And this is a race. You'll see his sister, Jenny, if you wonder who the lady in the crowd is, her name is Jenny, the sister, who didn't want him to run. Uh, they were a missionary family from China and were saying, you're wasting your time running. So here's a scene which I hope will work. So let's give that a shot. come from to see the race to its end from within.
Don't you love it? I tell you, I could watch that movie again. So, uh, I don't know whether you actually picked up the actual line where he said, um, Jenny, you know, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I just love that. It may not be just one thing, but... Imagine finding that thing and maybe those things in life that when you do it, you feel God's pleasure. Imagine being in a world where, where you felt that you were so self-aware and so in the will of God, in the right place, doing the right thing that God's called you to do, that you were constantly feeling the smile of heaven. I, that, that, that inspires me. That's really my life mission, mission is to and inspire people to find that thing, to be able to be in that place at the right time, right person, right time, right place, doing the right thing with the right people, feeling the smile of heaven upon you. And uh, so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about that. And I've called my message today, Seismic Shifts. Those times when, when God is, is in your world, He steps into the conversation of your life, and says, you know what, the, the, the lane that you're running in now, the season that you're in now, you, you need to have a shift. There needs to be the supernatural shift in your world so that you can begin to live and run and experience the will of God, the smile of heaven upon what you do. That feeling when you go up in the morning, when you get up and you're saying, you know what, I'm in the right place doing the right thing. God is on this. So often in scriptures, you'll see that that God steps into the conversation of people who are not yet in their right place. You think of Moses. He's in this, this wilderness season. Could you imagine having a wilderness season for 40 years? Anybody been through a wilderness? You feel like, you know. And he's in this place, and, and he's in the right place. He's where God wants him. He's, he's isolated. He's a shepherd. He's in the, he, he's in the desert. Uh, he, he's, he's on the run, he's, a, he's a, a, you know, a criminal, he's a murderer, and he's been in this place day after day after day, going through the season of wilderness, and then in one day, he notices that there's a bush that's burning, but it's not being consumed. He looks over and he thinks, well, that's interesting. <laughs> that's, that's always a good thing, you know, when you see something like, you know, this short Kiwi fella that probably shouldn't be up here thinking, how did God get him there? And how did he get to marry her? That's interesting. 
So he stopped and he took a look and then the bush began to speak to him and God spoke to his world. And in a moment, in a seismic shift in his world, he went from wilderness, desert, shepherd, on the run from the law, isolated, depressed, despondent, to deliverer of a nation. That's the kind of thing when, when God steps into your conversation and says, you know what, there's a whole new thing for you to be part of. We, we could talk of Joseph. Joseph was born with the sense of destiny. He had this vision that he would be a leader, that people would bow before him, that he would lead nations. And yet he found himself uh, accused of rape and rotting in a prison for years, literally years in this place. And if you could imagine his world, when, when he's feeling like God's on me, God's with me, God's called me, and yet my circumstances are so, so horrid, so painful. And, and the, the discouragement that he must have felt, the frustration when the, was it the baker and the, the, uh, the, the cup bearer came before him and he interpreted their dreams and said, remember me when you get out of here, I'm an innocent man in prison, they forgot all about him. So frustrated. He never knew that in one day God would take him from the prison to the palace. That's a seismic shift. That, that's something where, where you, you have this experience in life where you think God's just going to move me. This, is, this season is over. So many. Think of, of Saul of the New Testament, persecutor of the church, hunting down Christians, throwing them into prison. He actually was very zealous. It goes on later in his word. He says, I was zealous for God. Zealous for God. One moment on one day, a light from heaven shone, the voice of God, the voice of Jesus came down. A transformation took place and he went from being the persecutor of the church to the apostle to the Gentiles. Those moments when God shifts you, when God says, long enough in this season. You know, today just, just could be your Damascus Day moment. Who knows whether today you came to this place thinking, you know, another day in prison, another day in the wilderness, another day in, in, in my, my, my feeling that this isn't it. I'm, I'm, I've called to something, but I'm not living it. Who knows whether you got up today thinking this was just another day and whether there just may be a, a, a shining light from heaven today saying, no longer that, this. No longer that this. The season is over. I want to share a passage with you this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 2. The book of Deuteronomy is, is like a sermon. It's really good to read the whole thing at once. I know young people, you might think Deuteronomy, read it at once, you know. But, but what happened is that the people of Israel had been in the, in the wilderness for almost 40 years. And uh, they're about to go into the promised land. The season was coming to an end. So Moses preaches his final sermon. That's the book of Deuteronomy. In chapter one, he's talking about uh, the, the early history of how they came out of Egypt and how they disobeyed God and they didn't go into the promised land and, and uh, kind of bringing the past and talking about what got them here. And then in chapter two, he kind of slips into the present tense. And we read this verse. Reading from verse 1, it says, Then we turned and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. This is coming out of Egypt. Just as the Lord had told me, and we circled Mount Seir for many days. Many days is actually 38, 39 years by this time. So we circled Mount Seir for many days. 
And the Lord spoke to me saying, you have circled this moment long enough. Turn northward. Could you imagine this? This was a people that had been in the wilderness circling this mountain for 38 years. In fact, everybody under 40, most of these people didn't know anything but the wilderness. It was hard going. They didn't have a home. They didn't have a a city. They didn't have, uh, you know, they didn't have a, a rugby stadium. They never got to see the All Blacks play. None of that. They were in a 38-year wilderness. And then it says, in one day, one day the Lord spoke and said, you have circled this mountain long enough. Can you imagine if, if you're in a wilderness today, and I've got to say to you today, I believe that I'm preaching to somebody. It might be more than one. It might be a whole bunch of people. But could you imagine being in a wilderness where you feel like you're going round and round the mountain and you know that you're not at your destination? You see, the people of Israel, their wilderness was called the in-between. They, they had been saved. They had come out of Egypt, but they, they, they weren't where they were going. They had come out, but they hadn't gone in. They had come out of slavery, but they hadn't gone into the promised land. 40 years. And then God literally turns up and he sees the pain. He sees the frustration. He sees the boredom. He sees the circling. And he literally turns up and he says, enough. Long enough. And what if today you're here and you're thinking, man, I've been going around in circles. Hopefully it's not for 40 years but I've been going around a mountain and, and, and the, the frustration and the disappointment and the depression and, and feelings, the whole, the whole deal. And imagine if God just, just stepped into your combination, your conversation today, stepped into your journey and said, enough. Stepped into your wilderness, enough. Stepped into your depression, enough. Stepped into your loneliness, enough. It's time for a breakthrough. The question I have for you today is that if God turned up right now and looked you in the eye and said, I'm I'm here to change things, you have circled this mountain long enough. My question is, what would that mountain be? What is the mountain that you're circling that has you in the in-between? You see, we ain't going back, right? We're not going back to Egypt. We're not going back to unsaved world. We're not going back to that slavery, to sin. But we know that we're not there yet. What's the mountain that's holding you back that you have to stop circling? Some people, and, and look, we've all been there. Anybody ever circled Mount Poverty? You know what I mean? You know, you, you got bills on the table you can't pay. Your credit cards are at their limit. You, you preach the blessing of God and the favor of God. And if I give, God will honor me and we'll see this funny. But you go round and round and round the mountain. We, we circled that mountain. We, we pioneered churches, I'm telling you. Back in those days, it wasn't you, you weren't sent out with, with a sound system and a team and support. No, 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 no. We went out with a guitar and a Bible. 
the first church we planted was a place called Te Aroha in New Zealand. And uh, it was four months before we were, now, now I've got a bit of confession. This is going to amaze you that we're still married. It was while we were engaged. So we went to Tiaraha. We hired the senior citizens hall. I got my guitar out and we, we worshipped And I preached the message. For four months, nobody came except my bride. And we all know that the Bible says that train up a wife in the way that she should go. And she, you know, I think I got my scriptures mixed up there. But we, when we pioneered churches, man, we were broke. You know, we used to drive past fish and chip shops. You had to get it that in, right? I'm a Kiwi. We would go past a fish and chip shop. And I'd say to the kids, breathe in the fumes, kids. This is dinner, you know? It's like we would literally be praying for food to arrive at our table. There was one time where Sharon, my dear wife, got an attitude with God. She was in the garden, and she's saying, God, this, is, this isn't fair. I can't even afford to put bark on my gardens. That afternoon, a guy gave us a call. This actually happened and said, Graham, I'm taking the bark off my gardens. If I put it in sacks, do you think I could bring them around and give them to Sharon? I mean, who gives away secondhand bark? <laughs> so, so we know what poverty is. We know what circling that mountain is. We know what it is to struggle financially. But here's what I want to say today. <clears throat> this season's not the story of life. Sometimes we, we turn a season into a life story, and it's like God is saying, no, 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 no. Yeah, I've got you around that mountain for a while. You're learning some stuff here. You're learning dependence on me. You're, whatever it is. But there comes a time where God says, stop circling. We, we, we ended up in this house. We got it for next to nothing. It was a two-bedroom house. We got three kids. So that was one bedroom for us and one for all the kids. So, so we took the bathroom, and we, we cleared it out. The bathroom was around about two and a half by by two and a half meters. We cleared everything out of it and put a shower and a toilet in the, la- in the laundry. And our daughter, that became her bedroom. And I remember we were talking about saying, God, this is crazy. We'd been in ministry then probably 10, 15 years, and we were still struggling financially. And I was still faithfully getting up on a Sunday saying, God wants to bless us and, you know, as we give and, you know, honor God, he'll honor you. All the, the stuff, and we weren't living it. And, and it came at a time when, when God just, it was almost like it wasn't these words, but it's like God said, you've circled this mountain long enough. And, and sometimes when we get a word like that, we have to echo it with faith. When God says enough, we've got to say enough. Because what a lot of people do is they hear God speak and then they wait for him to deliver it. We say, no, 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 no. I speak. That creates faith. You act. So we had to say Enough. We will not be in poverty anymore. Now, you're going you're to be totally amazed that this lady's still with me. I said, God, what do we do to have the breakthrough? And he said, give the next year's salary away. And I'm thinking, I thought you said you were going to bless us. <laughs> now we're broke. And he said, and don't tell anyone. Not a soul. Only one person knew. We, we'd, we'd been ministering over the UK, and we came back, and we both agreed on the, on the plane. We said, what is God saying? Because we had to break poverty. We couldn't keep circling that mountain, honestly. It was long enough. And uh, so the only person that knew was the church treasurer. He picked us up from the airport. He was driving us home. And we said, God has spoken to us. For the next 12 months, you're to take our salary and give it to missions. And you're not allowed to tell a soul. Now, that was a tough year. That was a tough year. 
but we've never circled that mountain again. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you just have to say, What's, what is the mountain that's holding me back? You know, other people, you may be circling Mount Offense and bitterness. I don't know. Nobody here, of course. Even no one here lies awake at night saying, man, if I could just say what I want to say, I'd say this. I just wish I could put my argument forward. I've been offended. People that love you, people that are supposed to support you and be with you and be at your side, and they put the knife in, and they, they you know, we've all been falsely accused. We've all been harshly judged. I travel a bit, and, and you know, when I go through airports and the alarms are all going off, it's just all the knives in my back, you know, it's <laughs> setting everything, setting the alarms going. But you see, here's the deal. This is why Jesus said not to let, you know, your wrath go, don't let the sun go down on your wrath because he said, we're all going to get offended. We're all going to get hurt. You don't get to own that real estate. You tell me your story, and there's somebody else here that will tell a worse one. We don't get to own that real estate because if you keep circling that mountain, you're never going to get to your promised land. I could tell you stories right now that if I did, I'd be a raving mess up here, and uh, you just don't want to see that. But some of the people know the story that I've had to go through. And uh, I tell you, in fact, the scripture in Hebrews twelve fifteen, see it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. If you don't forgive, if you don't let that thing go, you keep circling that mountain, you will start defiling people. It just, there comes a time where you're going to say, enough, enough. I'm not going to circle that anymore. I don't know, maybe you've circled Mount Depression. Been there? You know, in my circle, I circled Mount Depression. It's a family thing for me, you know. Um, my brother committed suicide and my dad attempted and my brother who committed suicide stopped him. It's just a mess. Our whole, our whole family's like that. And I circled the mountain, but I decided not to camp. I wasn't going to camp there. I'd lie at night. Look, I'm going to be talking to some people now who only a few of you may get this. But I was lying awake at night wanting to die, imagining the ways that I could take my life. And I would be gritting my teeth, praying and asking God, this will pass, this will pass, this will pass. This is not my destination. This is not my destination. Now, obviously, when we want to stop circling that mountain, we don't only need God, we need counsel, we need support, we need people around us. But there comes a time where in faith, when God speaks, faith rises and God says, long enough, and you echo it. Long enough. Long enough. I'm going to do whatever it takes to stop circling this mountain. So many mountains we could talk about. There's Mount Loneliness, Mount McDonald's and Burger King, Mount Too Much Television. When are you going to stop circling that one? Mount Pornography. Comes a time, you guys, you've you got to say enough. Long enough. I, I, I know, I'm not going to camp here. This isn't going to be my future. Mount Grumpy. Anybody? Anybody in there? Mount too busy to spend time with my family. 
I don't know, only you know what your mountain is. There's, there's even exceeded, uh, uh, used by mountains, where you've been in a great season, you've been in a good time, been doing great things, and all of a sudden God says, that is over. Time to move on. Whatever it is that you're circling, maybe God's word for you is you've circled this mountain long enough. Long enough. Ten years ago, we, we were in that place. It wasn't a, a bad mountain, but we'd been pastoring at that time, I think about 25, 26 years or something like that. We were in Dunedin, New Zealand, pastoring uh, Nations Church, New Zealand, a great church. It had campuses on the university and in the city and in the south. and Just a great time. I was a part of the executive team of our, our movement in New Zealand. I looked after all the South Island churches. On the outside, we, we were doing well. We, we were the picture of success. 15 years in Dunedin, lots of people got saved. In fact, most of our church was saved under our ministry. It was just, just the way, it was a great time. But then one morning, I was having my devotional time. But, and, well, before I say that, uh, on the inside, on the inside, we, we were dying. On the outside, we were a picture of success. On the inside, something had shifted. The grace was gone. The grace was gone for it. And um, I was reading a patch, I think it's in, in Acts chapter 13. I'm not sure if I'll put the, the scripture up there, but basically I was reading through the book of Acts and Paul and Barnabas were in a certain place um, and uh, getting opposition from the, the religious people and so forth. And they said, look, from now on, because you're not going to receive us, from now on, we turn to the Gentiles. And I read that passage of scripture and it exploded out of the Bible. I had no idea what it meant, but it said, from now on, we turn to the Gentiles. Now, a whole bunch of stuff went on around that time, but I knew in my spirit that a season was over. I knew in my heart that after 26 years of being a pastor, God was saying, it's time for a new season. Turn to the Gentiles. I I tell you, sometimes when God calls you from a particular mountain, especially if it's been a positive one, it's hard. It's hard turning from that kind of a mountain. I, I got, I, I, most of my life I'd been preaching. I hadn't been in the marketplace. I didn't know whether I could succeed, do anything. And it was so easy to keep circling that mountain. We could have so easily, well, I might be single, I'm not sure, but we could have so easily have said, no, no, we've got a church that loves us. We've got a steady income. We've got the dream home that we built. We, we don't. But it was time. You know, it's interesting when you read of uh, Terah, um, Abraham's father, and, and you read in, in the story of his life, it's in uh, Genesis chapter 11, it says, they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan, but when they came to Haran, they settled. So basically the story is, is that God had, had called Terah, Terah was the real, he was the first Abraham. He was the one that God spoke and says, I want you to go to Canaan. And he got halfway and he got to this place called Haran and he was so comfortable. He was so, this is okay. This will do. I'm happy being here that he parked there and he never, ever went to Canaan. His next generation actually to fulfill that. But here's the problem is sometimes we're we're traveling towards our destiny and we're thinking, this is it. This is great. This is my season. And, and, and you're only at Haran. See, for us, Dunedin was our Haran. 
When God said, he stirred our hearts, he said, you've circled this place long enough, you need to move on, go to a new place. It was simply because we're only halfway to the promise. So, So there's this whole world in our lives where we have to learn when God has said, you've circled this, this mountain long enough, you've, you've stayed here long enough, you've been in this world long enough, you've been in this wilderness long enough, it's time to turn northward. It's time to go to a new season. It's a time of, of supernatural seismic shifts. So I don't know what mountain you're circling. Where does God want to move you from? I'm not talking geography here. It's interesting if you have a look at this passage First thing we notice about Deuteronomy, the mountain that they were circling, the area in in Sinai, it was actually beside the Dead Sea. And and the thing about the Dead Sea is nothing lives there. And and if you're here today and you feel like, and only you know what the mountain is, but you feel like God is saying, you know what, You've, you've been in this world long enough, I need you to get moving. I need to go to a new season. I need you to get some faith and go to the next place. If you choose to stay where you are, you will stop producing life. We could be in Dunedin today. It was a tough time, actually, the last few years. Sharon's thinking, I'm glad we're not. But but we could be. We could have our comfortable salary. We could have our comfortable church. We could have our comfortable home. But I tell you what, there wouldn't be life. Sometimes you have to move on. As we were leaving, we went and saw a guy called Dr. Ray Andrews. He's a psychologist, Christian psychologist who deals with burnout. And um, he actually, in part of what he was talking about, he said to me, Graham, he says, yeah, boy, me boy, me boy. He said, you're stale. And I was thinking he was saying, i got style, man. <laughs> I really did. I thought he said I had style. But he said, no, you're stale. <laughs> what do you mean I'm stale? I, I know I'm styly. You know, no, 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 you're stale, my boy. And, and, and what happened is because I was still circling a mountain that God was calling me from, I'd become stale in that place. There's no life. There's no, there's no fruitfulness in it. One of the reasons, that, and a choice that you have to make, is if you don't leave this mountain, and, and look, I could get really personal today. Guys, if you don't, leave, if you don't stop circling that mount pornography, you're going to get stale. You're going to stop producing life. You can fake it for a while. But eventually, there's no life in it. There's no life in it. I want to be like Eric Liddell. When I run, I feel his pleasure, fruitfulness. So the first thing is you've got to leave the Dead Sea. You've You've got to get back where their life is. The second thing is... Turn northward. Turn northward. What was north of this mountain? Anybody know? The promised land. The Jordan. So, so, so here's this, this company of people that are potentially quite comfortable now in the wilderness. They'd learn how to live there. And God says, man, if you stay here, you're going to stop producing fruit. It's a dead sea. But if you stop here, you can't, you can't cross the Jordan. It's almost like God was saying, you've got a choice to make. I feel like I'm being hard this morning. Anybody happy? Here's some, tough, here's some tough stuff for you. You have a choice to make. You can either 
keep circling this mountain, or you can go northwards to the Jordan and cross into your promised land, but you can't do both. You can't have it both. I, had, I could either resign our church and head toward the Gentiles, or I could stay in my comfortable job with my comfortable income with my very comfortable wife in our comfortable home, but I can't do both. What are you going to do? Are you going to keep circling? Or are you going to turn north? I want to say it's time to turn north. You know, this morning I'm speaking and I'm coming to a close, but who am I speaking to? This morning there's an Abraham here. And I want to speak to you because you're in Haran. You're halfway. Don't settle down. You, you, you might have been born in the era of the Chaldeans, but the journey was Canaan. And you're right there halfway. I want to say, come on, don't circle mountains. Keep moving on. I reckon if you keep circling mountains, you, you're wasting time, precious time. Be ready to move on to a new season. Give it a shot. Take the risk. Maybe this morning I'm speaking to the Apostle Peter. Think of the Apostle Peter. Walked with Jesus for three years. Then denied him. Started swearing. I don't know the blankety blank man. Not a follower of Jesus. Then it says he went away and he went into a deep guilt. Deep depression. Such a failure. Such a failure. Messed up. Denied my Lord. Such a failure. You can't stay there. Stop circling that mountain of regret. Of failure. Maybe I'm speaking to King David this morning. Are there any Davids here? Think about David. He was doing pretty good. Man after God's own heart. Serve God, serve the people, integrity of heart, skillfulness of hands, then adultery and murder. I tell you, 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 you can't camp around guilt forever. Well, I, I, I failed. I'm a failure. I'm a sinner. You circled that mountain long enough. The blood of Jesus either washes you clean or it doesn't. God forgives or he doesn't. And if you're dependent on your own righteousness, we don't have a hope. But if you're dependent on his righteousness and his forgiveness, time to stop circling that mountain, guys. God forgives you. Move on. Who else could I be speaking to? Joseph. I could be talking to Joseph in the dungeon. He didn't do anything wrong. He just got falsely accused. He got overlooked. He got thrown into, into anonymity. And maybe you're that person today and you're saying, you know what, I've been waiting so long for God to open the door. I've been waiting so long. I know that God's got this call in my life. It's been so long. Can I say to you that you can go from the prison to the palace in a day when God's ready. Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. That mountain's going to come to a close. I'm going to finish up talking about Elijah. The great prophet of the Old Testament. The great prophet of the Old Testament. This guy was so incredible. He, he calls down fire from heaven. You know the story. He, he kills the prophets of Baal. He's this incredible man of God. 
his life gets threatened and he goes into a deep depression. And he starts circling the mountain of depression. He sees he went off and he, he went to the mountain of God and he hid in a cave. He's angry at God. Why did you let me down? I'm the only one left. Totally depressed. And he came to the, the, the cave and God came and spoke to him there. And this is, this is so cool. I think this will help some people today. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle whisper. Do you know what I wonder about the scripture? And, and this is just me thinking, could be wrong. But I wonder whether the voice of God was speaking all the time. But the circumstances that he was in, the noise of the circumstances, the noise of the fire that he went through and the earthquake that he went through and the storm was so noisy that he couldn't hear the whisper. And it wasn't until he actually had the, the, the sound of the storm cease that he began to hear a whisper. How are you going to move forward this morning? How are you going to stop circling this, this mountain that's holding you back? You've just got to still the noise. You see, you think that, that God's the cause of your disaster. He's the, the cause of the earthquake. He's the cause of the fire. He's the cause of the wind. He's not in any of it. He's just whispering. And I want to tell you what's kept me sane over 10 years of transitioning. 10 years has taken us to go from that mountain to a new one. Is learning to still the noise of the storms and listen to the whisper. Listen to the whisper. Do you know what the cool thing is? When he heard the whisper, God gave him advice. If you look in the scriptures, it says that, go back the way you came and when you get there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram, anoint Jehu, anoint Elisha to be, all this. I said, go, go and get some people around you. Here's how I want to close out this morning. You've circled this mountain long enough. God wants you in a place where you can feel his pleasure where what you're doing, the life that you're living, has a smile of heaven upon it. And when you slow down and still the noise, you'll hear the gentle whisper saying, long enough. Time for a new day. Time for a new day. And do you know what he's going to say? Go and find some people to help you transition. Don't travel alone. We, we did that. When we, when we were in crisis and we were leaving and all that kind of stuff, Danny Guglielmucci, our good friend, called us. Can I walk alongside you? Pastors, Tark Barno, another great friend in New Zealand, Dave Dishru, people that, that were our friends, we called them to say, help us transition. When we got here, when we came to Aubrey Wodonga, I didn't know a soul, but I didn't want to walk alone. Someone said, there's a guy there that you'll like, Rick Lee Worthy. And I thought to myself, I'm not traveling alone. And I gave him a call and he kind of brushed me off a little bit. 
He's a busy man. No, he said he'd me, but yeah, I'm, I'm busy. So I called him again. And then I sent him a text. And then I called him again. And I got to stay in his flash front, beachfront holiday home last night. So I managed to get there. But listen, what I'm saying is this. It's not his responsibility to walk with me. It's my responsibility to get people around me. I didn't give up. I'm not giving up. It's time to leave the mountain. Let's all stand together. Maybe I'll have, I only need one musician up here. He'll play everything. Now, I have a, a few people coming up. Thanks for those that have been watching on the, uh, the screen. We're going to bail out for a moment.